0: So no video again today, lots of stuff to say as always. Uh, Welcome back to our service here at GBC. It's nice to see everybody with us. Uh, If you are a first-timer here or if you haven't attended any of our services, missed any of these um, uh, sermons on the preaching series in Exodus, uh, I would like to encourage you to watch them on uh, YouTube. Uh, We've been on this book, uh, studying this book for almost three years now. So... um, If you haven't heard any sermons on Exodus, you have a lot of catching up to do. There's a lot of sermons on it, uh, but it's available for you to watch. So please do watch it. So uh, before I get to the message, uh, we're going to do a quick review uh, first. okay? Um, And to tell you the truth as well, this is the part that I'm so excited. Like when we get to this part, I'm like, oh, I'm excited for this part. Because this is the practical part of the book of Exodus. All the teaching and all the doctrines that's being taught in Exodus, have been taught, and hopefully you've heard it, you've listened, you've remembered. Now it's time to apply the teachings. Um, and it's, this is no good if we don't apply it, right? If we just hear it and don't apply it, this is worthless. Um, but now it's time to apply. But before we do that, again, let's do a quick review. So where we are right now as far as the storyline is concerned, uh, you know we're, we're, we're already in this part where um, Moses and God have, have, is done giving instructions to the Israelites before they leave. Right? We're after the 10th plague, now is the time for the Israelites to go. I took um, the past two weeks unpacking the extra set of instructions that we see in Exodus 13 uh, for the Feast of Unleavened Bread and for the consecration of the firstborn and the redemption of the firstborn, right, if you were here. Those that took up the first 16 verses of chapter 13. Um, These events that we are looking at now, again, happened after the 10th plague. um, Right before the people of Israel were getting ready to leave Egypt. On the way where? Vacation? Back to their homes? No. On the way to? Promised Land. right? Now, as far as the story is concerned, the instructions were given for the purpose of remembering, remember? For the purpose of remembering God's salvation and therefore continuing to build up the faith of the Israelites on God. The God of their salvation. That's the purpose for the instructions. Continue to remember how you got out of Egypt. And as far as our purposes again are concerned, this part of Exodus 13 gives us the rock solid foundation for our sanctification, or our spiritual growth. I, I mentioned this last week. Right? Um, what's, the, what's, the, what's the foundation for our sanctification? Consecration and redemption. Remember that last week? The sandwiches, sandwich bread. Okay, it holds together the sanctification part of our growth or our salvation. Um, so it's like a sandwich. These this, this, this two things that are holding up the sandwich has to be rock solid. And I say that's the only rock solid thing that can hold up our sanctification is that we have been chosen by God, consecrated to Him, and redeemed by Him. Okay. It's the only thing that can hold it together. Um, and the reason I say that is because the, this, this topic of sanctification is always messy. Okay? We're all in different stages of it, and some of us are slower to be sanctified than others, but hopefully, and I Uh, You know, praying for you, you pray for me, I'm still being sanctified. There's still a lot of things in me that needs to be uh, purified, so to speak, cut off, circumcised. Um, But we're all in it. We're all in it. That's why this book of Exodus is really a reflection of us. Like right now, we're we're in the desert right now. (laughs) Right? We're waiting to get to the promised land. That's where we're at. That's why the sanctification part is so messy. That's why you need something solid to hold it. Um, And so the anchor that um, keeps the Christian grounded and not to sway to the extreme of pride or to the other extreme of hopelessness are the facts that Christians, like the Israelites, have been chosen by God, consecrated to Him, and have been redeemed by the blood the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? I hope that is clear, okay? So this means that the Christian's hope for final salvation is never never dependent on our performance to be good, okay? but only on the goodness of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, okay? Not dependent on your, you know, attendance here at church, not dependent on any ministries you may be serving in or may not be serving in, It's all dependent on the goodness of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we continue the story of the Israelites, we will be getting front row seats on just how messy sanctification really is. Maybe I don't need to tell you that. Maybe you know that already based on your own experience with sanctification. But the story will also show us just how messy sanctification, spiritual growth, Christian life really is. Uh, if you also remember, I also said last week, God being a good teacher and a good father, uh, he doesn't just give you instructions and just leave you alone to follow them. No. Um, God does not do that to his children. Uh, God the Father is lovingly patient. He is understanding. He is a God of mercy and grace and will always do what is right in order to accomplish his purpose in the lives of his children. It's funny how we talked about this during Sunday school too. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything because it was going to be the sermon, that's why. <laughs> um but this is what it is, right? It is God showing us how he's grazing these people, these Israelites, and how he's growing their faith. Right? Um, in case you um in this case after uh giving the Israelites instructions from the end of chapter 12 for the Passover meal, to the set of instructions found in the first part of chapter 13, the people of Israel can now leave. Time to go. Okay. I remember this uh, very fondly when we first came to Canada. I was 12 years old. Um, you know, my dad um, made us all pack up, and I was so excited. It was my first time getting on a plane. And that was my first time. And I'm like, ah, no problem. Ah, it's going to be fun. Yeah, it's 12 years old. Right? And I wanted to be a pilot back in those days. Top Gun was the number one movie, uh, 1988. So those of you who watched the new Top Gun, no good. The first one is still better. (laughs) I was so excited to get on that plane, and I got on that plane, 13-hour flight. By the middle of it, I was puking. I still want to be a pilot, but uh, I can't take it. (laughs) It's too much. So needless to say, my, you know, my my uh, idea of what it, you know, what it feels like, what it's going to mean to fly up to fly a plane, the experience, it's not what happened at all. I'm sure the Israelites are feeling the same thing. They're like, we're getting out of Egypt. Let's go, right? It's time to, you know, be free from slavery and to live our own lives and just, you know, enjoy our life. Not what happened. So now they're getting ready to leave. And, and, and listen, if you read your Bibles, before they left, they, um, they, 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 uh, they, they, got, they got all these silver and gold from the Egyptians, remember? God told them, go, go ask them for silver and gold. Go ask them for their animals. Go ask them for clothes, all this stuff. So they're loaded. <laughs> they're rich all of a sudden, right, materially. And they're leaving out thinking that, oh, this is going to be good. We have all this right you don't have to work anymore we don't have to do it what happened let's see right so this is again if you're listening to this and listening to the story just think about your own journey first came to canada what what was the journey like right so um, throughout our study i'll be using mostly um, my personal experiences as illustrations okay and the reason i'm saying this is because some people might take it personal some of the illustrations I use? Don't take it personal. Okay? I wasn't talking I wasn't thinking about you when I was preparing this. <laughs> you're not, you know, you're not in my mind. Oh, yeah, this is this is that person. No, 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 no. This is just my experiences. But if it hits you, take it personal. You know what I'm saying? Don't take it personal, but take it personal. Because if it hits you, there's something there that God wants you to. You know, to 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 burn out of you, to cut out of, to cut off, to to circumcise from your heart, right? So, um, that's just a, a warning to you guys, because I'm gonna be throwing out some stuff later on um, that might hit some people and might get might get angry at me, start, you know, oh, that's it. I'm gonna exit this from this church. I don't <laughs> want this church to go to this church anymore. Uh, <laughs> but just 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 think about that, okay? When when these examples are for all of us, okay? It's just coming from my perspective, but really it's nothing personal to to anybody okay so let's start so this next section after all the instructions have been given out if you can remember again after the israelites plundered the egyptians they, they have gold and silver they're ready for their journey they they're ready to get out on route to the promised land this next section of chapter 13 we will see how god starts off the training of the israelites this is how god trains the israelites how to train them to to increase and strengthen their faith and again, purpose for this training is for them to apply what they have just learned in the verse 16 verses of chapter 13, namely that because they have been consecrated and redeemed, therefore cleanse yourselves. Cleanse themselves of leaven. Cleanse themselves of the influence of Egypt. And just like what I said last week, any good parent will not only teach their children through words of wisdom and instruction, they will also walk their children through how these instructions apply to their own lives. This is what this next section of verses shows us. How God is slowly walking the Israelites through how to apply their faith as they begin their journey to the promised land. All right? So in this section, we will see three ways of training that God uses to help build up the faith of the Israelites. I'm going to go Baptist on you here a little bit. Three ways of training that god uses to help build up the faith of the israelites they all start with the letter r okay first rerouted next reminded and third remained okay rerouted reminded and remained. these are lessons this is god uses these tools to teach the israelites how to apply their faith how to build up their faith in god i'm going to try to unpack one this morning okay so first if you look at this story the first thing that happened to the Israelites is was was they were rerouted they were rerouted um in the narrative that after pharaoh said to the Israelites, okay you can go now what does it say god did not lead them by the way of the land of the philistines although that was near exodus 17 and 18 can we just read that again Can you guys read that? Look like so. I want you guys to imagine this. Okay, I have a map for you. Did you guys they were able to get the map? So this is the map of the whole Exodus. This is this is their route. Okay, if you look at where is Canaan, top, over there, right on the right side. Okay, see where Canaan is. Number one is where the Israelites started. So the first point on the left is where the Israelites started, and they're going to Canaan on the top right. The shortest way to that, or what, the shortest way between two points is straight line. The straight line is just go like, like that. Okay? Go straight. But God said, no, 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 no. We're not going to go straight. We're going to take the scenic route. That's why the message of the, okay, is the scenic route. Why did God do that? Because right? the full route seems to be just quick. It's like, it looks like a, a week's worth of, well, Maybe not, (laughs) right? It looks short. Like it's just gonna cross the thing, and that's it. You're done. They're they're out. Instead, they went all the way down to Mount Sinai, went back up, went around, and up to. Now, first time I I read this is because um, the the explanation was, oh, because the the Israelites were stubborn and they needed to. uh, God needed to teach them a lesson. Did you read any stubborn? Did you read any complaints at the at the verse 17 and 8, in chapter 13. Were they complaining at all? No, they're probably excited, right? Because they're all loaded with gold and silver and, and it's time to go and no complaints. So it wasn't that. They weren't stubborn. They will be. <laughs> but they weren't yet. Why did God take them the long route? Right? He should have taken the route that goes through the desert Through the wilderness of Shur to get to Canaan. Because that's the shortest route. But they went around. Now why? Verse 17b says, Because God said, Lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God's saying, I don't want my people to see war right now. Because they might change their mind and go back. And they keep, you keep hearing that through the story, right? Why did you lead us? Uh, before they crossed the Red Sea, what did they say? Was there not any uh, space or were there not any graves that we can be buried in Egypt that you brought us here to die? Why did you have to take us out of Egypt for, to die here by the sea? Right. But God already knew that. So God says, Lest they change their mind and go back to Egypt. But this is what confuses me. It's verse 18. Verse 18 says, And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They're expecting a fight. Right? Why would they equip themselves for battle if they weren't expecting a fight? Meanwhile, God's saying, no, no, no. Yeah, they're equipped for battle, but they're not ready for war. So let me take them around this way. So again, that could be a bit confusing to someone who just, who's just reading the story. It seems as though God rerouted the Israelites because he didn't want them to face the Philistines on the way to Canaan. But when the Israelites left Egypt, they were already equipped. Right? Uh, I like how one pastor put this. My, Matt Chandler said that being equipped for battle here, it's not like they are trained for battle. All they did for 400 years was make bricks. What are they going to do? Throw bricks at, at the cane? They didn't know. So Matt Chandler said, being equipped for battle here is like dressing up for Halloween. Dressing up like a soldier for Halloween, doing trick or treat. You're not a real soldier. <laughs> but you dress up like one. Right? That's what equipped for battle here means. That's why God is like, no, you're not ready. So, what is God trying to teach here? What is God trying to teach us? What is God trying to teach them? Three things that we can learn from this part of the story. First, uh, first thing, let me show it to you with an illustration, okay? Uh, and it's funny because we were talking about parenting earlier during the Proverbs, studying Proverbs. Um, here, if you're a parent, you could probably read this passage and this part of the story and think. Yeah, that's good, because the, the you know the, the Israelites were just young in their faith. They they need shelter, they need to be protected from the reality of the world. So let's let's not bring them to the land of the Philistines yet. Let's protect them because they're baby Christians. Is that God what's trying to do? Is that what God is trying to do here? Is God trying to spoil the Israelites by not letting them see what's out there, like the real world out there? Right. there's this show that I used to watch, the Cosby Show. Okay, I don't know if you guys watch that. Maybe I'm dating myself here. But uh, it was back in the 80s, Cosby Show. I know, yeah, Bill Cosby, he's, okay, I'm not even going to talk about that. But <laughs> in the Cosby Show, there was one point there where uh, Cosby's older, oldest—well, not oldest, Theo, uh, so his, his, his only son, um, wanted to live out, uh, uh, wanted to move out and live on his own. There was this, there's this part of the show. So Cosby's like, no, you're not ready. Ah, oh, yeah, I am. I can work at a gas station and work part-time, and I can survive out there. They're like, oh, yeah? Really? Okay. So Theo went out. When he came back, the Cosbys, they, they changed their house into the real-world apartments, it's called. So everything in the house, okay, from the bedrooms to the kitchen, became like real-world bedroom and kitchen. Meaning, if you want to sleep somewhere, you gotta pay for it. If you want to eat, you gotta pay for it. If you want to use the washroom, you gotta pay for it. So what they did was they gave Theo how much are you were making at uh, the gas station. That much. Here's their money. Okay, you can spend it anywhere in the house. And Theo went up, goes up to the room, and asks them, "Okay, uh, I, want, uh, I want my room." Uh, the bed, nice bed. I want my table. Okay. Okay, that's uh, that's $1,000. Theo only had 1000 So I can't get the room. No, I can't do that. Uh, but I'm hungry. Let me go eat. So he went down to the kitchen. And uh, okay, can I get like, you know, the, the pasta and steak and all that? Oh, right, that's 500 What? I only have 1000 In the end, Theo ended up sleeping on the street because he can't afford anything in the house. Now, what's my point? Point is this. Parents, you're supposed to prepare your kids for the real world. The real world. You know what the real world is, right? You miss a payment on your mortgage? You miss work? (laughs) Right? Nobody's going to pity you out there. Nobody. You have to learn how to deal with the Real world experiences, but they're kids. So what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to train them to deal with those things, but in a controlled environment at home. If you're not doing that, you're not preparing your kids. Like if you're not, I know some parents here. They they, they do their kids' laundry. They bring food to their kids' rooms. I I do it, but uh, don't do that. How are they going to learn? God could have, okay, if you go back to the story of the Israelites, God could have said the Israelites, okay, to test your faith, let's go through the desert. Let's go face the Philistines. Let's see how much you believe. But he didn't do that. Right? He didn't do that. Was he spoiling them? No. Because he knew how much they can handle. That this is the only stress right now. This is the only thing right now that their faith can handle. Their faith is fragile. So God, not, He's not trying to shield them from the reality. He's trying. He rerouted them because He wants to strengthen them first, right? That even though they think they're ready for battle, they're dressed for it. God knows they're still not ready. Their faith needs more training. That's why God said in verse 17, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return. The original Hebrew word used here for change their minds is the word nakum or nakam. Which literally means to be sorry or to regret or to repent. God doesn't want them to be sorry that they followed Him. He didn't want them to regret it. And then repent. You know, repent means about face. Somebody used a word yesterday Tagalog. I forgot what it was. But somebody used the word about repent. I'm like, what is that? It means about faith. Um, but that's what repent means, right? And God didn't want them to do that. He didn't want them to go back to Egypt. Right? What's the first lesson on the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Cut your ties to Egypt. So God, in protecting that and in growing the Israelites, rerouted. I think that this is the essence of what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Can you guys read that? First 1 Corinthians 10.13. Sometimes uh, Christians can get too overconfident. Either, they're on, or either on their abilities or on a flawed understanding of how God works, especially when it, in that context of temptation. Right? They can get too overconfident. Um, I've, I've been in, in the youth, youth ministry for a few years, and um, every time I warned them about the, temp, the sexual temptations, uh, most of the guys would tell me, ah, I can handle that. That's nothing. I'll just run away, just like uh, Joseph. Two weeks later, oh yeah, I fell into temptation. Stop being too overconfident about that. There are some things in this world (laughs) that you just can't fight on your own. You need the help of God. So sometimes Christians do that. They tend to get too overconfident either on their abilities or on a flawed understanding of how God works. And what I mean by this is that God will never allow us to be tested to a point that it will destroy our faith. Instead of strengthening it. God's purpose is always to strengthen our faith, which is the total opposite of what the devil is doing. What is the enemy trying to do? It's trying to devour and destroy us? No, our faith. Right? So God is not like the the total opposite of the, the enemy. So his purpose is always to strengthen faith. Strengthen faith. And that's what he's doing here in this part of the story. Um, even to the point where sometimes we think that we can pass the test. We think that we can overcome temptation. Um, God's goal in testing is always to strengthen our faith as well and our reliance on Him. So it's never to punish. When God tests you, it is never to punish. It's always to strengthen. God doesn't want to see us Suffer. Now in the times that we do suffer and when we do suffer, that's not God being sadistic, that's God being loving and merciful to allow suffering in order to strengthen back to His main purpose. You need, sometimes, some of us are so hard-headed, we need some kind of suffering in order for us to wake up, in order for us to be built up again. He has to break us down first. Sometimes God does that. And sometimes he reroutes you. As a parent, I've always tried to make it a point not to make life too easy for my boys. Some people think I'm too too easy on them. Um, But at the same time, I also don't want to make life too difficult than it has to be. Life's already hard. By itself. You don't need to. If you watch the old Jackie Chan movies, when he's training the drunken master, the training sequences, it's always the hardest thing to make it hard. But you can do that without having to make it that hard. I'm not saying for you to spoil your kids. Okay? But there's a point where you're just making life harder. You're not building up your kid. You're just tearing them down. And God doesn't do that to us. He's a perfect father. In fact, i um, talking to some of the men here and talking about their kids. Um, they asked me, so who should I, you know, if, if my dad wasn't perfect, if my dad did stuff to me when I was growing up that I don't want to do to my kids, who, who do I pattern my parenting uh, to? Well, I said the perfect parent. Obviously, our, all our fathers are imperfect. There's nobody here has a perfect father. But and, and I always say that the stuff that I learned from my dad, there's stuff that I learned what to do and stuff that I learned not to do. And he's right there. <laughs> he's sitting right there. Okay? He knows this, right? But that's it. That's just how it is because I'm not going to be perfect. I know my kids um, are going to take some stuff from me and, uh, to do and some stuff not to do. So who do we pattern our parenting uh, under? Perfect parent. He didn't have to. He, he could have led the Israelites straight to the Philistines, but he didn't. He didn't have to. Right? He didn't want to make life too difficult for them at that certain point. Right? And so he rerouted them. Uh, he rerouted them. He protected them from something that could possibly destroy their faith. Instead, he rerouted them. God, being a good father, led them the the long way. Uh, And in doing so, God protected his people while also teaching them to continue to trust him even though sometimes it doesn't make sense. Right? This is the second lesson we can learn from this part of the story. Sometimes it's okay to go the long way. Shortcut's not always the best route. Me and my wife, we go for drives every night because my wife works from home uh, and she needs to be taken out or otherwise she'd go crazy Um, cabin fever you know cabin fever so every night i take her out for a drive summers i take her out for a walk so instead of walking the dog i walk my wife (laughs) so (laughs) because my dog doesn't want to walk and my wife needs to walk (laughs) so let's go for a walk and i always ask her on drives you want to go the short way Or the long way she always says let's go the long way why because she needs that time to unwind right sometimes it's okay to go the long way the shortcut is not always the best route that's why Christians will never ever ever win the lottery no way (laughs) it's too easy (laughs) it's too short it's too easy. You, you won't trust God after you have all the money? You won't trust God. Unless God wants to use that to teach you a lesson, which <laughs> I don't think you want to go that route. Right? Sometimes it's, it's, it's better to take the long way around. Don't shortcut things. It's not always the best route. And third lesson here is, um, and the part of the story is, some shortcuts can even be dangerous. Right? Because that's what's happening here, right? If they were to take the shortcut, they would have gotten killed physically or spiritually, right? (laughs) Right? Some shortcuts could even be dangerous. Like if you're trying to lose weight and you're trying to shortcut it, you could die. (laughs) Right? Some people, I just, I, I need, I have a trip coming up in a couple of months. I need to lose 80 pounds. I can do it. No, you'll, you'll be dead. You're going on a different trip. <laughs> <laughs> some shortcuts are dangerous. Some, some, you, you see them on, uh, you know, you're trying to get big. What do they use so that they can get big right away? Steroids. Uh, they drink all these steroids. Ah, next thing you know, heart attack dead. Some shortcuts could even be dangerous. So don't shortcut it. It's never good to take the shortcut. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, you, you know when that, that saying, uh, work smart, not hard? Okay. You know what I'm saying? Anybody heard of that? Work smart, not hard. So if you, if you can do it a smarter way and you don't have to like, punish yourself working, yeah, do that. That's not a shortcut. You know what a shortcut I'm talking about, right? I took a shortcut once. I went biking up Hamilton by myself. Alright, I got up to the top, took pictures, click, 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 click. So I was at the top, I was, I was seeing Hamilton, I was seeing Burlington, Mississauga, I was at the top. Now, it took me 40 kilometers to get to that point. Some uphill. So I'm like, I'm not going to do 40 back, it's too long. So what I do, Google, Google Maps was the shortest way to home. Google told me, okay, take this route. Alright, good, I'll be home in 15 minutes. On my bike. I got to the point, it's uh, McNeely Road in Hamilton. It's downhill. I'm like, oh, perfect. Downhill. I don't have to pedal hard uphill. Downhill. So I went up. Oh, this is nice. Oh, I'm going fast. Oh, nice. This is fast, fast, fast. To the point where I was going 60 and my brakes won't work. My wheels won't stop turning. And it just kept going. I'm like, oh, 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 oh. I didn't. Think about jumping. I was panicking at that point because I was going 60 kilometers going downhill. So I just tried to kind of get off the bike, but I'm like, my bike's gonna get ruined. So I tried to hang on. So <laughs> I hung on the bike. The thing slid. I crashed my head on a sign. You know those signs that that yellow sign that the arrow when it's a sharp turn. Smacked my head on that. Broke my helmet. I didn't pass out. I got up right away and looked around to see if anybody saw because that's embarrassing. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm good. Nobody here. And I started picking up my bike. When I picked up my bike, I saw my arm was full of blood. I got cut right here. And I'm like, uh-oh. So I was going to bike home after that because I'm okay. I got cut right here. My phone was broken. Good thing it still worked. I called my Son, to pick me up. Shortcut. (laughs) Don't take any shortcuts. Especially with the Christian life. One shortcut that I want to warn you is not studying the Bible for yourself and just listening to preaching. That's a shortcut. You know why? Because not all preaching is correct. Even here. I always tell you, check up on me. Right? Don't just take what I say, because I might be feeding you poison right now, and you just say, amen, amen. Don't shortcut the Christian life. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Take take up extra books, like, you know, supplemental books. Read those. If you can't read this straight, read supplemental books. It will help you, and then... Work your way up to this. But don't shortcut it, talking about, I went to church, I heard the sermon, I know all about Exodus. No, you don't. <laughs> don't shortcut. Shortcuts could be dangerous. And sometimes the long way is the better way. I saw a recent posting on uh, Facebook that says in the classroom, students get taught a lesson and then tested. On the lesson, right? That's how classrooms work. The teacher teaches you a lesson, and then they test you on it, see if you know, right? In life, it's the opposite, right? In life, it is the opposite. Tests is what teaches people lessons. So, when you think about that, God is doing that exact same thing here in Exodus. 13. He's doing both. First, he taught the lesson, and then he tests them. Right? But before testing them fully, first he rerouted them because they weren't ready yet. They just heard the lesson. And then later on, if you know the story of the Exodus, test after test after test will come. But these tests is, again, not for them, not for God being Uh, God being sadistic or wanting to see his people suffer. No. It's always to strengthen and grow their faith. Right? First lesson that God teaches the Israelites and us today. Be patient. Trust in God and in the way that he's leading us, even though sometimes we don't understand why. Sometimes God will take you the long way. Right? Right? Single people, right? Right? I'm 30-something. My Prince Charming still hasn't arrived. Where's the single? No more singles here, eh? Oh, yeah, right. There's one. <laughs> right? Or if you're going through some issues, some problems, or if you're, try- if you're recovering from the loss of a loved one, sometimes that takes a while. But in it, God is always teaching us something and again that something is not for you to suffer more or anything like that it's for always to strengthen your faith in him if you're praying for something hasn't been answered trust right trust look at the apostle paul how old was the apostle paul when he got the damascus road experience Hmm? probably in his 30s right but before that what was he doing Killing Christians. But before that, he was learned. Right? He knew the Bible inside and out. But he was just using it for the wrong reasons. Then God saved him after. It took him a long way. What did he say? He was the last of the apostles. But he worked the hardest. He wrote the most. But it is not through him, but only the grace of God that was in him and with him. Right? Sometimes the long way is okay. Keep trusting in God's ways. Keep trusting in God's wisdom to lead us. Even though sometimes we don't understand why. God is good. And when he reroutes your path, continue to follow and abide in him. God's route is always the best route to take. Next two hours, next week. Again, reminded... And remained. I hope you can come join us again. Let's pray. The Lord bless you and keep- Yes.